Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday that I've been releasing every single Monday morning, even though I missed last Friday, I apologize, because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. I collect news articles, along with the articles that are sent to me by you, my beloveds, and others, so thank you for submitting. And I just want to remind everyone that unlike my regular podcast that I write out in its entirety before I record, you're welcome, trust me, uh, this is unscripted, and I don't read the articles past the headline, so you and I can react together, okay, and let's go. So guys, in my part of the world, the southern, middle, south, middle of the south, in the middle of the south, in the middle, (laughs) it's harvest and hay season. Farmers are moving hay around, so if you hear loud trucks in the background, I apologize, but there's just too many to try to pause and wait. So, our first article comes from amp.9news.com.au, and the title reads Victim named after fatal whale boat flip in Sydney's Botany Bay. I'm pretty sure the person that sent this to me was like, Now the whales are getting involved, right? First it was the killer whales, right? Fuck them boats. And then it was the otters, fuck them paddleboarders. And it was the dolphins, fuck them surfers. And now it's the whales, fuck them boats. We've come full circle. So police believe two men were in the water for about 45 minutes when one man died after a whale breached near their boat and flipped it in Sydney's Botany Bay this morning. The animal uprising. Am I right, guys? So Darren Kermy... 53, and brother-in-law Stuart Collings, 63, were pulled from the water by NSW police after a whale struck their boat off Cape Banks at La Perouse around 6 a.m. Kermy kept Collings, who was unconscious, afloat for about 45 minutes until help arrived. Well, that's great. Stuart Collings died in the incident. Oh, no. His brother-in-law, Darren, 53, was pulled from the water by NSW police. Emergency crews performed CPR on the 61-year-old, but he unfortunately died on the rescue vessel. Stuart Collings died. Collings was unconscious. Okay, and then he's the one that died, but that's sad. Um, let's see. The 53-year-old was uninjured but taken to hospital for monitoring. Quote, a witness vessel was traveling out to the headlands and noticed the vessel doing laps without anybody on board, acting superintendent Sioban Monroe said. Quote, and that's when they identified that there were two people in the water and called emergency services. It's believed two men were flung from their boat after they hit an object in Botany Bay. Monroe said witnesses tried to assist the people in the water and police were on scene very soon after the initial reports. Quote, police say that the skipper stayed as close as he could to the deceased and he was doing all he could until police arrived. She said that they were in a 4.8-meter runabout, which could be suitable for the conditions where the vessel was located. Quote, there are lots of whales out there, Monroe said. It is not unheard of these stories of whales breaching next to boats, which is obviously captured quite often. So this is a tragic accident, but not one that I guess would be unexpected. There was an ellipsis there, dot, 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 unexpected. 
It is a stark reminder that although you could be out on the water having the best day, it could quickly turn into one of the worst days if skippers aren't prepared or if tragic incidents like this occurs. All boaties are required to keep a distance of 100 meters from whales. How can they enforce that? How can you enforce that? Keep a distance of 100 meters from the whales. The whales come to you. You can avoid them. They will come to you. Uh, so initial reports suggest the whale was submerged before it hit the boat. You don't say. NSW Police Minister Yasmin Catley said the government's deepest condolences go out to the family after the terribly tragic incident. Quote, it is a stark reminder, really, of just how dangerous the water can be. Catley said, we've coexisted. Recreational fishers and other marine life have coexisted for as long as we can remember. I'm sure we can continue to do that. End quote. For volunteer lifesavers, this is the beginning of what they expect to be a very busy summer. Keep in mind, guys, that Australia's in the southern hemisphere. They are getting ready to experience their summer, while the rest of us up here are getting ready to experience winter. So they are urging all boaties to wear life jackets as the majority of people they rescue are not wearing them. You should always be wearing a life jacket, Auntie Alyssa insists. The foreshore road boat ramp at Botany is currently closed as police investigate the incident. I don't really see why there needs to be an investigation. It seems pretty cut and dry, if you know what I mean. So on to the next article, which comes from People.com. And the title reads, 11 students arrested at Florida High School after huge brawl in hallway. Florida represented on our Monday morning murder. So several of the students face felony charges for battery on school officials and law enforcement at Matanzas High School, according to police. A fight that broke out at a Florida high school this week led to the arrest of 11 students, according to the Flagler County Sheriff's Office. At about 1 p.m. on Monday, two school resource officers, school resource deputy King and school resource deputy Landy responded to a disturbance in a hallway at Matanzas High School in Palm Coast, according to a release from the sheriff's office posted on social media Tuesday. The officers saw a, quote, large crowd of students standing in the hallway while several other students were involved in a physical fight upon arrival, according to the release. Quote, Deputy Landy and Deputy King immediately assisted teachers and administrators in attempting to break up the fight and disperse the crowd of onlookers. End quote. Authorities then detailed three specific incidents that had occurred during the brawl and the circumstances under which three students involved had been arrested. One 14-year-old female student allegedly pushed Deputy King so they could attack another student per the release. The student was subsequently taken into custody for felony resisting a law enforcement officer with violence, disruption of a school function, and disorderly conduct per the release. So during his efforts to gain control of the situation, Deputy Landy then, quote, observed a male student run into the altercation per the release and allegedly saw the student charging at a school staff member while swinging his arms ultimately punching the staff member in the shoulder, end quote. 
According to police, the staff member restrained the student and kept him in place until he was handcuffed and arrested by the deputies per the release. The student, 17, was arrested for felony battery on a school official, the sheriff's office said. A third incident detailed in the release described another 17-year-old male student who was allegedly observed grabbing and battering a school administrator. Quote, at the same time, another school administrator was attempting to escort a student away from the fight when another male student ran up to the administrator and grabbed them, the Flagler County Sheriff's Office release stated. The student then battered the administrator for being taken to the dean's office. End quote. The student was then arrested for felony battery on a school official and disorderly conduct, the police said. So affidavits were filed in the state attorney's office recommending misdemeanor charges against the other eight students. Alongside the release, Flagler County Sheriff's Office shared blurred body camera footage of the incident that showed students shouting and apparently involved in altercations, as well as officers making arrests. Matanza's high school staff notified parents of this incident. Quote, the lack of respect demonstrated by these students is simply shameful, Flagler County Sheriff Rick Staley said per the release. But actions have consequences. Parents, be the sheriff in your home and teach your kids the importance of respecting teachers, staff, and deputies. Teach them how to handle disagreements and that fighting only leads to more violence, end quote. Then another quote, we have a zero tolerance policy for violence at schools and you will be arrested. I also commend our school resource deputies and the Matanzas high school staff for quickly getting a very volatile situation under control before anyone was seriously hurt. I agree with what our sheriff has said in the past. This type of behavior is not to be tolerated by anyone. Flagler school superintendent Lashakia Moore added in the release. That said, these actions are not indicative of the thousands of students who come to our campuses each and every day to learn, end quote. And then the last part says, there are so many students, teachers, administrators, and staff who work every day to promote and celebrate a positive school culture at their schools. This is an opportunity for our parents and guardians to reinforce the good choices their children decide to make and remind them why it is important to be successful in life. So <clears throat> these situations, I have some pretty um, intense opinions on, and I'm often, I often find myself a little scared to share them because of our current cancel culture society because you know if you have an opinion that might differ from other people's opinions then you're automatically out right so i i tend to not want to share them but i will say that part of my opinion is that the school is not a babysitter it's not a daycare it's a place for the children to learn it's their full-time job just like the parents have full-time jobs and these students their full-time job is to be in that school to learn the teachers are not there to babysit, okay? Parents, I don't know what's going on. Most parents are fine. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is some of these parents that have no consistency in discipline and behavioral modification management at home 
are then sending these kids to school and these fight. I mean, when I was in high school, two boys would beat the absolute shit out of each other. Bloody noses, blood spatter on the floor in the hallways over a girl, over some whatever testosterone bullshit, right? But then when it was over, they like shook hands and they were fine after that. What happened to that? You know, there's a lot of hormones and a lot of emotions and things going crazy with these teenage kids. But again, I just do not understand all this violence in the schools. Parents need to get control of their kids in the most pro-social, pro-family, positive way that they can. This shit is ridiculous. The violence in the schools is old. It's done. Okay, guys, just stop. And then our next article, you know, preaching to the choir, right? The tea call in the kettle black, so to speak. This comes from usatoday.com, coming out of Florida. And it says, potential tragedy averted. Three Florida teens arrested after texts expose school shooting plan, police say. Text messages that the boys exchanged revealed the identities of other students who the teens planned to target in their attack at Creekside High School in a Jacksonville suburb. So the arrest of three Florida teenagers last week may have prevented an attack on a high school where the suspects had identified potential targets and acquired aerial photos of the campus to map out their plot, authorities said. Yikes. Text messages that the boys exchanged revealed the identities of other students who the teenagers planned to target in their attack at Creekside High School in the Jacksonville suburb of St. John's, according to the St. John's County Sheriff's Office. Deputies reportedly discovered that the texts included the encircled photographs of the intended targets, as well as their class schedules and home addresses. The trio also sent one another aerial photographs of the high school, according to arrest reports provided Tuesday to USA Today. All three of the students, two 14-year-old boys and a 15-year-old boy, were arrested Thursday, and each were charged with two felony counts related to accusations regarding their written threats and also that they had unlawfully used communications devices. USA Today does not identify juvenile charged with crimes. I think it's great that they don't put the kids' names out, even if it was lawful to do so, because advertising their names just gives them that notoriety that they wanted to begin with. Maybe some of this stupid shit would stop if we just didn't share names. I'm talking about school shooters. Quote, nothing is more important to me than the safety of our children, St. John's County Sheriff Rob Hardwick said in a statement on Facebook. Quote, I am proud of the youth services deputies assigned to this investigation who acted quickly on the information that was provided and prevented a potential tragedy. End quote. So boys formed a communist club after being bullied, reports state. After being bullied, the students had formed what deputies described in the arrest reports as a, quote, Russian communist group that they named the United Boyopolis Socialist Republic. Fantastic. The group created a logo that they placed on a patch as an identifying insignia and distributed applications to recruit other members into their organization, arrest reports state. Oh, I just love the freaking communist bullshit. Oh, my God, I just love that. 
Not long after, the teens began formulating a plan to attack the school in multiple conversations in a group text messaging chat, where they also discussed the potential use of weapons, according to the arrest reports. One conversation between the charged trio and another unnamed individual contained both a hit list of students they wanted to hurt and a lethal hit list of students they wanted to kill. One of the charged students was accused of sending a text in the chat saying, quote, I'm nothing without a weapon. In another exchange, one of the students said, I'm bringing my AK-47 tomorrow. There's no way that he has his own AK-47 if he's a small teenager. Oh, that's right. They can get them anywhere. Even the dark web, if they so choose. And then that, of course, prompted one of the accused to respond, quote, me too. The students made it clear in the exchanges that the plan was not a joke, which prompted the unnamed member of the group chat to become concerned and fearful enough to report it to the school officials. Now, see, that kid that reported it should be celebrated. Now, they probably shouldn't release their name because, you know, you wouldn't want them ganged up on or hurt or whatever, but that child should absolutely be rewarded for turning that crap in. There should be a reward for that. Why don't we push that? Kids that turn this stuff in and successfully stop these school shootings and even these these bullying issues and all of that, these kids should be absolutely rewarded and celebrated. I'm, I'm putting it right here, right now. I said it. So deputies with the St. John's County Sheriff's Office were notified September 29th about the texts and launched an investigation obtaining and examining two of the suspects' phones. Lieutenant George Harrigan, a spokesman for the Sheriff's Office, told USA Today. Harrigan said Tuesday that it remains, quote, undetermined whether the teens had access to any of the weapons they discussed to carry out their attack, and the investigation remains ongoing. All three students were suspended effective last Tuesday. Well, I would certainly hope so. Quote, we encourage students to speak up if they see something that concerns them, and this situation is a perfect example. As the sheriff's office continues their investigation and any subsequent criminal proceedings, we will begin applying consequences, end quote. Here, here. Oh, I just love to hear that. And like I said, that kid, whoever turned them in, should absolutely remain nameless, but again, rewarded, amply rewarded. Positive reinforcement, my friends. It does work. This next article was sent to me by one of my lovely, lovely, lovelies out of the Facebook fan page, and it's from the news-journalonline.com news journal, the Daytona Beach News Journal. Title reads, 73-year-old woman accused of dismembering boyfriend to undergo psychological evaluation. You think? Nelsie Tetley has been described as a person of interest in a second case of a man whose dismembered body was found along a riverbank in Ormond Beach. Oh, this is Florida again. <laughs> Three Floridas. A judge Friday ordered another mental health evaluation for a woman accused of killing and dismembering her boyfriend in Daytona Beach six years ago. The woman has been described as a person of interest in a second dismemberment case. I mean, she looks kind of... Yeah. Nelsie S. Tetley, 73. She's 73, guys was indicted February 9th of 2018 on a charge of first-degree murder with a firearm in the killing of boyfriend 
Jeffrey Albertsman, who was shot to death and then dismembered the year before. So that was in 2017. Circuit Judge Elizabeth Blackburn had ruled in 2022 that Tedley was mentally incompetent to proceed in her defense after both prosecutors and defense attorneys agreed on that point. But the Department of Children and Families challenged that finding. The 5th District Court of Appeal in Daytona Beach ruled this year in favor of DCF and struck down the judge's order. A central issue was mental health experts' opinion that Tetley's mental competency could not be restored or was unlikely to be restored. On Friday, Tetley sat in a wheelchair as a bailiff wheeled her into the courtroom at the S. James Foxman Justice Center in Daytona Beach. Tetley told the judge that she was having trouble hearing, so the judge asked everyone to speak into the microphone. Assistant State Attorney Heatha Tregones asked the judge to order another mental health evaluation for Tetley because the previous evaluations were, quote, stale. Interesting word. Assistant Public Defender Brian Smith agreed that another evaluation would be appropriate. Blackburn ordered the evaluation. Experts will examine Tetley at the Volusia County Branch Jail, where she's being held without bond. The judge noted that mental health evaluations are considered old after 90 days. Really? After only 90 days? I wonder why so short. One would assume if somebody was diagnosed with something, let's see, mental health evaluations. I don't know. I'll have to ask my my inside guy, the uh, the clinician, my friend who started the fan page. He would know about that. Okay, the judge also set a status hearing on the case for August 30th to possibly decide whether a competency hearing is necessary. As Tetley was wheeled out of the courtroom, she passed by Albertsman's mother sitting in the gallery. Tetley glanced at the woman. Okay, so Tetley's in her 70s. That man's mother was sitting in the courtroom. Wow. He, she glanced at her ex's mom. Albertsman's mother declined comment after the hearing. I think she would be a little on the aged side to be sitting in a courtroom hearing details of her child's dismemberment. Call me crazy. While not discussed in court, if Tetley cannot be restored to mental health competency, she may be released to some type of facility in the community. Mm-mm. Albertsman's death shocked Daytona Beach. Oh, police found the 55-year-old's body uh, July 26, 2017, inside his home to the head. We'll see. A bullet to the head had killed him, but he also had a slug in his chest. His arms and legs were found 20 miles away in a fernery in De Leon Springs. Albertsman's dismembered corpse was discovered almost 10 years after the dismembered body of Michael Scott Lewis. Michael Scott was found stuffed inside garbage bags along the banks of the Tomoka, Tomoka River in Ormond Beach. Tetley was described as a person of interest in that case. When Tetley had a bond hearing in 2020, Lewis's friends and family wrote the judge urging that her motion to reduce bond be denied. The judge denied the motion on June 12th of 2020. That's the end of the article. She dismembered two men? 
and kind of in a, like, I don't know that I, I mean, I guess I could probably do it. I digress. So our next article comes from Brantford Ex Expositor.ca. The Expositor? Expositor? Why am I having a hard time with that today? A 19-year-old who chased his dad through the father's house, stabbing him repeatedly, came close to near murder, said Justice Harrison Errol Thursday, sentencing Malcolm McNeil to 12 years for manslaughter. Quote, the violence went on for some time in various parts of the house, and the degree of gratuitous violence is astounding. There was no element of chance the victim might die. It was a certainty. End quote. That brutality swayed the judge up from the eight-year sentence put forward by the defense, but not as high as the penalty suggested by the Crown of 14 or 15 years. Wow. Eight-year sentence is not near long enough. McNeil, who turns 23 next week, was just 19 on May 15, 2020, when he showed up at the Wayne Drive home of his estranged father, Donald McNeil, and pushed his way in, saying he wanted to collect some clothes. Family members said in victim impact statements that the younger McNeil had changed in the previous year and was no longer welcome in some of their homes. Oh, the plot thickens. During a multi-day trial for second-degree murder, McNeil testified that it was his father who first threatened and then attacked him, and McNeil responded to the provocation. The jury accepted that defense of provocation and found McNeil guilty of manslaughter. Evidence was presented during the trial that McNeil had first used a small knife he kept on his belt to wound his dad slightly, and then, according to the physical evidence, chased him around the house, stabbing him at least 66 times before leaving the knife in his father's back. Quote, Donald McNeil was running away to the side door and Malcolm McNeil followed and engaged in a fight at the side door, said Assistant Crown Attorney Jeff Mazin. When asked why he followed his wounded father back to the kitchen, he said he was worried his father would get a weapon and chase him. Quote, he lost control. He said he only recalled stabbing his dad a couple of times before he realized he wasn't moving anymore, end quote. How many of you are calling bullshit on that? I've got my hand up. How many of you are holding your hand up? Show hands? Exactly. Mazin said McNeil then packed up some of his belongings, covered his bloody shirt with another one, took money from his father's body, picked up the keys to a mini Cooper in the driveway, and headed north. Mazin noted the younger McNeil has no supportive family or friends left and told the author of his pre-sentence report that, quote, he's over what happened. He has no remorse or insight into his pursuit and butchery of his father. He's over it, end quote. Defense lawyer Stephen D. Clement pointed out McNeil was just there to get some clothes. Quote, it was not a situation where he was busting down the door to get to Donald. I mean, he was pushing his way through the door, right? Isn't that what they said? He didn't try to clean up the scene in any way. He just grabbed those items and left. The lawyer noted his client had served about half of his time in harsh lockdown conditions while awaiting his trial. 
Justice Errol, Errol said the accounts of family and supporters at the trial showed Donald McNeil to be a generous, helpful, supportive person. This family has suffered horrendously and will never recover, said the judge. He weighed a list of things against the offender, the length of time of the brutal assault, the lack of any attempt to get help, stealing items, changing clothes in a hopes of escaping, and even bringing his own knife to the home when he knew there was animosity between himself and his dad. Quote, his explanation that his father would have come after him and killed him rings hollow to this court, especially given that his father was wounded. So again, those Errol took into consideration McNeil's youth, lack of criminal, lack of criminal record, estranged relationship, and the possible provocation. Having remained in jail since his arrest, with the usual pretrial credit granted and some extra time for being in custody throughout the pandemic, McNeil amassed the equivalent of five years of time served to be subtracted from his sentence. He is left with almost seven years to serve. Quote, it's not really a very long sentence for the crime, said Gerald Spelier, who was Don McNeil's best friend since they were both in grade nine at St. John's College. Speaking outside the courthouse, Spelier said the elder McNeil was, quote, the nicest person who would help anyone. He was generous and always paid it forward, end quote. So <clears throat> this is sort of a weird thing because I cannot fathom why such a violent, violent act would only get 10 years in prison and five years time served already during the pandemic waiting for trial. 10 years for violently murdering his father. I don't know, man, that seems kind of messed up. So our next article comes from page6.com and the title reads, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift hold hands in first PDA photos since whirlwind romance. I'm just kidding, guys. Nobody gives a fuck. Okay, for our last article, um, it's kind of gossipy, but I think it involves, I didn't read, again, I don't read these articles ahead of time, but I think it involves one of the moms from that like 16 and pregnant whatever that show was on MTV. Do you remember 14, 16 and pregnant, whatever it was, but the girl's face is what caught me. And so I thought maybe we'd catch up on something like that. I don't know, because this is the dark haired one that was kind of crazy and, and really pretty. And I just kind of forecasted that she would be a shitty parent. So TMZ.com take the source for what it is. Title reads Janelle Evans and David Eason's runaway son. Neglect and assault charges almost certain. And again, I didn't really watch the show, but I would catch little bits and pieces, so I don't know if this is the chick, but I'm pretty sure that it is. So Janelle Evans and David Eason could soon be facing charges of assault and neglect in the ongoing saga with Janelle's 14-year-old son, Jace. Law enforcement sources tell TMZ they expect they'll wrap their investigation very soon and just interviewed Jace this past week. Our sources say at this point, it appears charges will be filed for both neglect and assault. What hasn't been determined, we're told, is whether both Janelle and David will get hit with charges or if only one of them will face legal repercussions. 
TMZ broke the story. Cops started treating Jace's situation as a possible case of neglect after the young teen ran away from home for a third time in about a month. Cops say Jace told officers David had assaulted him and appeared to have visible marks on his neck and arm, making the investigation that much more serious. What's more, we're told there's video of the alleged assault and cops have it in their possession. Oh, good. David Eason is Jace's stepdad. Janelle regained custody, regained custody, of the 14-year-old from her mother, Barbara, earlier this year. Barbara had stepped in years ago to take custody of Jace after Janelle was unable to properly care for her son. We reached out to Janelle and David for comment. So far, no word back. That's the end of the article, but then there's fucking Taylor Swift's face with the Chiefs guy, and I'm just, I'm so sick of hearing about it. Sorry as I lament and vent, right? But anyway, so, yet another weekend just went by, right? Just blinked, woke up, and it's Monday. It's ridiculous. But it is what it is, right? We all have to do it. We all have to, we all have to contribute. And I encourage everyone to treat everyone else with some love and respect, right? Because... We all have talents in different areas, and we all work in different areas. And just because one person might work in a nice air-conditioned office, we do not need to lose sight of the fact that there are people that are working out in the heat and humidity. I mean, I guess not this time of year. Farming and doing things with their hands, hard, hard, laborious work. My job is very mentally stressful, but not very physically stressful. So I just think that we all should appreciate that we need everybody, right? Every single one of us. We need to come together and pay attention to our kids and who they're hanging out with and what they're posting online. And and quite frankly, the lazy parenting is old. It's stale, a word used today. It's stale. Pay attention to your kids. Ask them how their day is, you know. I'm not talking to the good parents. You know who I'm talking to. Pay attention to your kids. Spend some time with your kids. They didn't ask to be here, okay? If they're having issues, address those issues. But do something because this shit in the news is old. So love everybody. Try to have a good week. If you're off during the week, we appreciate your sacrifice during the weekend to work so the rest of us can just chill and as always, I love you guys so much. Take care of yourselves and each other. Uh, bye bye.